this evening, we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Okay? We'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes has been called the the black sheep of the Bible. It has been called by some the delight of the skeptic and the despair of the saint. And perhaps that's one reason why the book of Ecclesiastes has become such a neglected book within the Christian community. Because when many approach this book, that is exactly what the words of the book make them feel oftentimes. Despair. Right? Despair as they read these words that sometimes appear to be hopeless. And a hopelessness that both skeptic and saint can understand and can relate to. As the author in this text confronts every human being who has ever lived with the reality that we all must face as those living under the sun. Another reason why the book of Ecclesiastes may be a neglected book amongst God's people is because we're not used to this type of literature, this type of genre of writing. The book of Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature, along the same lines as uh, the Song of Solomon and Proverbs in the book of Job. But we know that when we sit down, for the little time maybe that we have each day, when we open up the Bibles, we want to read something though that's clear, don't we? Something that's pretty cut and dry, black and white, easy to understand. We don't want to sit down at home and, and read a book that asks us questions and doesn't give us answers right away. And it does so for the very purpose of, of wanting you to stop and to think and consider what it's saying. But that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes does. Or we will see as we study this book that it is nothing like Pauline letters. Right? It's not like gospel narratives. And it's nothing like the, the book of Revelation. And so it shouldn't shock us nor surprise us that as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, what we will find are, are proverbs, we'll find poetry, we'll find metaphor, we'll find hyperbole, and we'll find uh, uh, rhetorical questions as well. Yet, although this book may be a tough book to read, it may not be as clear to us as maybe portions of the New Testament are, we need to understand that the book of Ecclesiastes is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Ecclesiastes is Scripture. And maybe just as important for us to remember as we are going through our study in the book of Ecclesiastes is that not only is Ecclesiastes wisdom literature, but Ecclesiastes is Christian literature. It's Christian literature. Which means that as we read and study the book of Ecclesiastes, we are to read it in light of the advent of Christ. As Christ is wisdom incarnate. Right? Christ is 
The one who is at the center of the story of all of the Scriptures. And all of the Scriptures need to be read that way. If you remember, Christ scolded those two men on the road to Emmaus, didn't He? Because they didn't recognize that fact. Which is why then we're told in Luke 23 that Jesus then, starting with Moses, took them through the Scriptures and He interpreted to them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And so, what I submit to you, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus' method of interpretation is one that we, uh, or the one that He modeled is the approach that we likewise ought to use. Right? Jesus and how He interpreted Himself in and through the Old Testament Scriptures is what our approach ought to be. So that as we approach the Old Testament, if we want to understand the Old Testament properly, as it is intended to be understood, then we must understand it in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. If any of you here have ever gone to a, an eye exam, you know that they sit you in this chair and they put this device in front of your face with the lenses and they ask you to read the, 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 the number, or the, excuse me, the, the letters that are on the, the wall across from the room. And as you do so, what do they do? They, they change the lenses on the glasses, don't they? And as they're doing it, what they want to find out is through which lens can you most clearly perceive those letters that are on that wall so they can write you your prescription. What we need to see as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, that Christ is the lens through which we need to see all things in order to understand this book properly and most clearly, remembering that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? who has moved its author here to write. And as the Holy Spirit moves the author to write, what we see is, is that He has them show us the vanity of all things under the sun, in order and for the purpose of presenting Christ then to the book's readers and to the book's hearers that we might feel our need for Him and it might cause us to turn and to seek after Him. Now, we'll take up that matter of human authorship then with our first point this morning. And so I ask that you look with me one more time at verse 1, please. The words of the preacher, the son of David... King in Jerusalem. Now, before the, the 19th century, the scholarly consensus was that Solomon was this book's author. And there are a few reasons for that. Uh, first, that, that phrase, uh, Son of David, King of Israel, um, and, and in particular, the phrase Son of David, is one that was used in the Old Testament that only was used to reference the biological sons of uh, David. And who was the biological son of David who was king of Israel? It was Solomon. Right? So that's one of the reasons why scholars believe that Solomon was the author of this book. Uh, secondly, people believe that Solomon was the author of the book because the details of the book, things that are being written about, are things that Solomon right, knew quite well. Which is why even though scholars here today the majority of them don't believe that Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. They still agree that whoever wrote it has Solomon's life in view. Right? Solomon's life is in mind as they are writing this book. And then thirdly, 
we just have to see the, the similarity that there is between Ecclesiastes 1.1 and another book that Solomon wrote, Proverbs 1.1. Right? In Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Israel. Well, if you look at Proverbs 1.1, how does that book start? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Right? Son of David, right? king of Israel or, or king in Jerusalem are communicating the, the, the same thing, which is why uh, people believe that Solomon is the author of this book. But whether or not Solomon is the author or someone else is the author, at the end of the day, it doesn't detract or negate the fact that this is an inspired book in Scripture. Uh, but just for our own notification, as, and as we move forward through the book of Ecclesiastes, we will take the, the once majority, now minority view that that Solomon is this book's author. And as the divinely inspired human author Solomon writes, what we see then is that he does so from his own experience. He reaches back thinking about his past experiences, his past life, now having returned to the Lord after having turned his heart away from God. And now we have the, the preacher Solomon, who in his latter years is sharing now with us what he has learned. Right? He's sharing with all men who live under the sun. Right? And making known to us the utter vanity of seeking satisfaction for your souls in this marred, sin-cursed, and fallen world. And what Solomon addresses here in the book of Ecclesiastes is just as important today, brothers and sisters, as it was when Solomon wrote to the Israelites. Because what he is writing about are questions that every single human being must face, must deal with, and must confront. We probably have dealt with these questions ourselves. If you think about your life, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you probably thought to yourself, yeah, I've had those same questions or those same thoughts as Solomon did. Perhaps you've run into people discussed and had, and had conversations with people who who had the same questions that, that Solomon broaches here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, that's because, brothers and sisters, these are questions that have confounded men throughout the annals of all of history as men pursue wisdom and they pursue pleasures and they pursue careers and jobs looking for the meaning and purpose in those things only to inevitably end up seeing that all of their pursuits ended in vanity. So we need to see that then Solomon is preaching or writing this sermon to inform, to alert, to advise men living under the sun who are struggling with finding purpose and meaning in earthly things that if you are looking to find satisfaction for your souls in the things of the earth, you will always come up empty. And how sad How sad are the lives of so many men and women, perhaps even that we might know, who have spent their entire lives pursuing money and careers and fame and and recognition from men, only to discover that just like the hamster who's running in that hamster wheel over and over and over again in a circle, that all of man's pursuits and endeavors have led them nowhere. Right? They failed to find what it was that they were pursuing. 
But brothers and sisters, this is why this sermon that Solomon writes is so relevant for us today. It's so relevant for every single one of you who is sitting here this evening. But I hope most especially for maybe the younger folks, in the youth in particular, that I really hope and pray that the words of Solomon that he writes really speaks to your hearts. That it really addresses maybe needs of yours because you now have these questions set before you that people have struggled with for thousands of years. And now they are set before you. And so now, right now, boys and girls, is the time to stop and to consider and to think about these things before letting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years go by before you learn the lesson that Solomon learned. And by that time, it will be too late. All that time will be gone. All that time for you will have been wasted time. Right? This is too important of a message to let go in one ear and out the other. Right? Many of you might think you have life figured out, especially for maybe the parents and adults. There was a time in our life where we thought that we had everything figured out. We thought that we were really bright, that, that we wouldn't fall into the trappings of trying to find meaning and purpose in earthly things. But listen to what God says about Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, God says to Solomon this, Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. That is what God says of Solomon. And now, brothers and sisters, consider how far Solomon fell. Right, Because of Solomon's sin, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, what are we told? God says to Solomon that now he's going to take the kingdom and leave his son with just one tribe. And so, brothers and sisters, we would all do well to, to heed the words of the preacher king right, who learned his lesson the hard way and who God now has raised up to write this for the good of his people. And yet, although it is Solomon that God raised up to write this sermon with his own mind and with his own hand and with his own words, as you hear the sermon proclaimed to you today, it ought to be the voice of Christ that you hear. It ought to be the voice of Christ that you hear. For God has also sent another into the world for the good of His people. And who is Solomon but a type of Christ? Jesus says this Himself in Matthew 12.42, that one greater than Solomon was here. And so as you look at verse 1, as we, as we read that verse, we ought to see that it is Solomon who is the, the, that these words are of. Right? It's the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Israel. But they actually speak to the one greater than Solomon, don't they? Who is the true preacher, the true son of David, and the true king in Israel. And so we need to see that it is Christ who is teaching us through Solomon where true happiness is to be found in the sermon as He is beseeching us all to come and to find it in Him. But what's interesting is how the author actually goes about making this argument. Please look with me at verse 2. 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Our first point as we looked at human authorship was, was considering the preacher Solomon. For our second and our final point, what we are going to consider is the preacher's treatise. The preacher's treatise. If there is one verse in the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes that sums up for us the contents of this book, verse 2 is it. This is the verse. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now immediately though, as we look at verse 2, we see that Solomon has an apologetic aim to help us to discover where true happiness is to be found. But what's interesting is the way that he goes about doing it. Because he goes about doing it in a way perhaps that you and I might not agree with. They might not think is the best way to do it. Right? He doesn't start by trying to convince his audience of why God is all-sufficient, why God is so great, why God is to be preferred over and above all things. In fact, it's not till the end of chapter 2 that he begins to touch on God. But prior to that, starting in verse 2, his uh, apologetic method is first to convince us where it cannot be found calling everything under the sun vanity, and then going about seeking to demonstrate that to us. Now the word vanity, brothers and sisters, can be translated futility. Or it can be translated meaninglessness. But it literally means a puff of wind or a vapor. And Solomon uses this word vanity some 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And he uses it to describe to us that which is vanishing. He uses that word to describe to us those those things that are fleeting. But we need to understand and consider the context in which he says that everything under the sun is vanity. Right? Solomon's point, we don't want to miss his point. His point is this, that if you're seeking to try to find true happiness, in things that are fading, that are passing away, that is vanity. Right? Wisdom, pleasures, work, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. It only is vanity when man looks to them and seeks to place more meaning in them than what God has intended. That is when it is vanity. Remember, earthly things are given to us by God to enjoy. But we are to enjoy them in God, not apart from God. We are to enjoy God as the center of our world, not things and possessions. Remember, we are to glorify God in everything that we do, not to glorify ourselves. Right? God is to be the, the chief good for man, not possessions and not prosperity. These things were never given to us to satisfy our souls. And yet, what does man do with God's good gifts? He perverts them, doesn't he? And he abuses them and he looks to find meaning in them instead of looking to find meaning in God. And we see this today, don't we? With, with men and women who hotly pursue their careers. And those that I am addressing are those who 
who purposely and by design push off marriage and push off children and even have fewer children. Why? So that they can pursue things that they think will fulfill their lives and give it meaning. Not understanding that they will always and ever go unsatisfied. Right? Man thinks this world is his and that his life is his and he can do with it what he pleases. But as Solomon learned, and I hope that all of us here have learned, that that is foolish thinking. Right? Happiness, true happiness, will only ever be found God's way. According to God's plan. Not according to the plans of men. Right? Man's toil under the sun will only and always be vanity if he thinks that he will ever find rest in those things. This world is constantly pushing the newest thing before us, isn't it? Every commercial, always, all this, even on the computer, you get the, the advertisements that come through. And the message is, if you want to be happy, you have to have this. Come and get this. And how many people are duped into believing that? But the promise never delivers, does it? Because as the next newest thing comes out, you forget what you just got and you go chasing and pursuing the next new thing. But they don't stop. These people, they don't stop. They don't think about how the promises of this world are always disappointing. And yet they continue to pursue things. But brothers and sisters, what we understand is this, that you cannot find eternal happiness in things that were meant to be temporal. You cannot find eternal happiness in things that were meant to be temporal. This is why seeking true happiness in things under the sun is a never-ending endeavor. That's not what they were created for. The author then seeks to show us that all things on earth are vanity in comparison to heavenly things. That's Solomon's purpose, is to show us the utter vanity of all things in comparison to, to heavenly things. That's what we're told in Scripture. To lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Right? Not on earth. Because all is vanity when compared to God. All is vanity when compared to the true riches found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, brothers and sisters, how many Christians have accepted the message of this world? So let me caution each and every one of you this evening before you think about trading in the Gospel for outward, external, fading, fleeting things. If you ever want to find meaning, you will discover that meaning will only ever be found in Christ. And it is Christ who alone then gives meaning to everything that we do. Because the problem lies with the heart of man. Right? Things in this world. Money. Power. Clothes. Cars. Jobs. None of it deals with our issue. None of it deals with the human heart. But Christ does. Christ does. And so ultimately, it's only in Christ that you can really enjoy the good gifts of God. Because for the one who is in Christ, you are able to see those things for exactly what they are and no more. This is why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Brothers and sisters, is that what you believe? Is that what you believe? Is that how you live your life? Like Christ is more important than everything under the sun. I caution you. I warn you. Don't get caught up in a lifestyle of vanity. Remember for what kingdom you live. Don't get caught up pursuing and running after and hungering and thirsting for things that are perishing because they will not fill your bellies nor quench your thirst. But I tell you this, there is one who will. And that one is Jesus Christ. What does He say in John chapter 6, verse 35? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. As we draw to a close, brothers and sisters, I want us to see that Solomon is inviting us all into taste and enjoy the savoriness of true happiness not to be found in the futility of this world, but in the One who created us to enjoy things beyond and greater than this world. The question is, will you? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, wisdom incarnate, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who reveals these things to men. We ask, Lord, that You would help us this day to to not allow these... uh, profound words to to go unthought of. May we spend time meditating and contemplating and considering the, the meaning of the text. And Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would help to, to open the meaning up for us and to and to teach us and to comfort us with it and to and to and to grow us and increase our faith as we look at the text. And so Father, we come before you asking all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.